before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You are about to listen to a special preview edition of The Endgame, featuring my co-host, Bill Fleckenstein, and our very special returning guests, Mike Taylor and Mike Green of Simplify uh, Asset Management in the US. Um, both Mikes have had a slew of requests for us to get them back on, so we thought, what better way to start the new year than to have both of them on uh, at the same time to kick things off for 2024. The conversation was uh, wide-ranging, it was incredibly uh, thought-provoking, and it touched upon a whole load of issues that will no doubt trigger just about everybody, but it was a, a fascinating conversation and one that I personally thoroughly enjoyed. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including the Endgame, Super Terrific Happy Hour, The Narrative Game, This Week in Doom, Shifts Happen, and Chaos Theory is available to Copper and Silver Tea subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper Tea subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the Silver Tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high-quality content like it, then please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And now, on with the show. Uh, the two mics, welcome back to the Endgame. Both of you, it's great to have you here together, Phyllis. How are you both? Mike Green? Uh, I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing just dandy. All the better for having a full complement of mics. So Mike Taylor, how are you, my friend? Above average. Excellent. So an improvement on last time. <laughs> and above ground, too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. Far better than the alternative. You remember, that's what Byron Ween used to say. You'd come and see him and I'd say, how are you? And he'd say, well, I'm above ground. That's good. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw Byron Ween. I don't know if you guys remember him. I saw him in about, first time, about 2002, 2002. And he, at the time, looked exactly the same age he did recently before he passed away. And uh, I, I thought he was like 100 years old then. And he was very excited about being alive. And then he continued to live for another 25 years. <laughs> He's really a remarkable individual. And I will miss his annual prediction. Yeah, yeah. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Well, look, it's uh, talking of annual predictions. Um, this looked seemed like a really good opportunity for Fleck and I to get you guys on and talk about talk about last year, which is obviously an important year, and I think it's an important one to look back on because there were so many things that happened. But most importantly, I think looking forward to this year because uh, you know you guys are two of the most requested return guests for the end game. So to to get a twofer is uh, is perfect at the beginning of January. So let's, uh, Mike Green. Why don't we start with you? And I know Fleck has got questions about where we are on the passive monster, I think he called it. So, Fleck, why don't we get to Mike Green and ask him the question you're dying to ask him about passive. We can start there. Okay, I guess it's a twofold question, Mike. How far along are we in the expansion of the beast? Because as it gets closer and closer to 50 and past, it's going to cause more warpage. And simultaneously, what do we need to look for to see that it's starting to, to struggle and we might be headed to a, a, a passive version of Volmageddon? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of how far we are, I think since we last spoke on the topic, there have been a couple of papers that have come out, in particular, a Harvard professor and one of his PhD candidates, uh, Marco Salmon and Alex Chinko, have done a paper 
actually called Double What You Think, and it assesses the quantity of passive. This is actually a paper um, I mentioned the acknowledgments that grew out of a series of questions that I pushed back on Marco's original work saying, look, you know, they did some original work in evaluating the quantity of passive. And this is also played through into the work of like Valentin Haddad and others who you've heard me mention before, where they assume that what they see on the screen in terms of Vanguard share or BlackRock share is what defines passive. And the point that I've made repeatedly is anytime you have an SMA at the institutional level that's designed to mimic the S&P 500, that's not going to show up in a mutual fund, but it is ultimately a passive allocation. And so part of what we've had has been the institutional side has been far more advanced, actually, than the retail side of it. When you do all the math to answer your question directly, it looks like we're somewhere between 40 and 45 percent passive at this point. So we're still not over that kind of magical 50 point. Unless you go into what are quote unquote called the you know purely managed assets, there in mutual funds, et cetera, passive is now larger than active. But that is such a small component, or it's about a third of the universe that I don't think it really matters all that much. But there is something really interesting that's happening that that goes more directly to your question of kind of like where are we in this process? And that's that last year, and this is part of the reason I'll be candid. I think I got the year wrong. We began to see outflows from Vanguard's mutual funds. And this is actually a really critical event because these are asset gatherers that have effectively never seen this sort of sustained framework. I want to be really clear on a net basis, once I include ETFs that are doing the exact same products, we're still seeing inflows into Vanguard. But on the mutual fund side, we're now actually seeing evidence that they have gotten to the point that their client base is beginning to mature and we're beginning to actually see some liquidation. This to me is kind of like the first warning bell. Now the question becomes, and this is obviously the second part that I got wrong in 2023, do we see the concomitant rise in unemployment that in turn lowers those flows? So we saw in early 2020 a little bit of outflows associated with net job unemployment that was reversed almost immediately due to the various pandemic programs. We've seen very brief periods in past, and again, I highlighted this in my substack, You know, there are time periods like the reallocation that occurred in August 2015 that a lot of people confuse for a Chinese revaluation of the yuan in terms of its market impact. I mean, I'm happy to walk people through the math of that, but the simple reality is is that Chinese revaluation happened on August 12th. It was fully digested by the markets, and then all of a sudden on August 22nd to the 25th, the markets just took an absolute header. That was tied in my analysis, and I've got pretty good evidence behind this, to a Vanguard rebalancing of their target date funds in which they reduced U.S. equity allocations and increased international bonds. The reason why I emphasize that is because that's actually the second thing that's happening, which is that the millennials, the first millennials, those who were born in 1982, have now actually started to hit 40. And in 40, in the target date fund structure, you start ramping down your equity exposure. And so this actually calls into question some of the flow dynamics that we've seen and makes me very cautious for 2024 and beyond in terms of are we actually at this point where, you know, the proverbial, if you ask for cash, then sell begins to manifest itself. I think we're much closer to that flipping point and potentially on the other side of it than I I would argue most people are focused on. So, Mike Taylor, when we've talked in the past, we've never really talked about how you think about the passive robot always in their buying, how does it affect your running money, particularly on the short side? Because that's where I found knowing when Mike Green 
opened my eyes to what was going on. It, it changed how I tried to approach the short side. And I was wondering, I know you've been very successful on the short side. I know that's not all you do, but how have you factored that into what you do? So I began this approach to changing the way I ran a hedge fund around these passive flows. I didn't know at the time it was the passive flows that were driving it, but I did notice simply a trend in the data so far as market cap and flow. And this was in about 2012 is when I really changed the way that I allocated capital in a hedge fund. And uh, at the time, I didn't quite understand why I was doing it, except that it worked. And it was really being overweight, the benchmark names that vanilla investors had to be in. And this is why you've seen so many profound moves. Let's go to the Magnificent Seven, for instance. And when you look at the top four of the Mag Seven, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, essentially all the active managers can't be any more overweight those names, meaning that they can't even legally get there. And so they don't, they're underweight Microsoft, they're underweight Apple. And in order to make up for that, the flows into that space, they have gravitated towards the second tier market cap that has growth. And they didn't really care what the valuation was because they had to get there because they knew everyone else was doing the same. And that included NVIDIA and Tesla and Netflix and Salesforce.com. And this is a big reason why you've seen such a dramatic move in these names over the past year. And you'd step back and you say, this valuation doesn't make any sense. How do you ever get paid? They don't care. It doesn't matter. It's because the third tier in market cap just is not represented by the benchmarks, meaning Vanguard, because they're making a synthetic, which only constitutes the top 25 names or so. And then after that, they just don't care. And so the flows are not there. And that's really how I changed the way that my bets go on and that I become very, very, very sensitive to shorting a mega cap ever because the flows do not care and do not know. And this is why it's only now, years later, that Apple is facing incredible headwinds that it has underperformed by 5%. That's it. But it has underperformed this year by 5% approximately versus the group. And what it took was for them to have negative growth, but still trading at 26 times forward. So it takes a brick to the face. And you're actually seeing that also in Tesla now. Tesla is a huge problem stock now because it has underperformed that MAG-7 for uh, about seven months now. And it's a really big deal because this is where the incremental dollars are. They're in NVIDIA, they're in Netflix, they're in Tesla. And that it is underperforming now is a very, very big deal. So Mike Taylor and I tweeted about this last week. I said, we got a huge problem here because that's where all the dollars, incremental dollars are, meaning that there are fixed dollars in Google, Microsoft, Apple, but there are incremental dollars that are discretionary in Tesla. Mike, just, just expand on that because Tesla is a particular bugbear of mine. And um, you know, when you talk about Apple, they've had some poor news as well as underperforming and they are facing massive headwinds, but it hasn't seemed to matter. Tesla, the news just gets worse and worse and worse, whichever way you look at it. So just explain to people listening the potential difference that what you laid out makes in terms of reaction to further bad news in Tesla versus further bad news in Apple. 
Well, because of the passive flows, you're going to have a dedicated buy and buybacks, of course. You're going to have a dedicated buy for the most part in the top end of the MAG7. And, and those are the four names that we talked about. Amazon doesn't do a buyback, but it's in that frame. The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.